My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Donald Altman. Non-profit cooperative housing is a model of ownership whereby the people who live in a given multi-unit complex collectively and democratically control it. For many years now, government attitudes towards non-market models of housing have ranged solely from indifference to outright hostility, so it's hard to remember that there was a time not too long ago when governments in Canada actively supported the development of new non-profit cooperative housing. And there was an interval of time in the late 1970s and early 1980s when the federal government decided that a useful way to provide rent geared to income housing to low-income people would be to offer subsidies to housing co-ops as well as to other forms of not-for-profit housing that was tied to their mortgages to allow them to do so. That has worked well for many years. Except in the next few years, those mortgages are coming due, and when that happens, the subsidies will end. This has the potential to result in a significant erosion of the already vastly inadequate affordable housing stock in this country, and it will make it much more difficult for cooperatives to offer geared-to-income units. Donald Altman has lived in co-op housing for decades, and for most of that time has been actively involved in the governance of his co-op. Six or seven years ago, he and a number of other residents of various co-ops in Toronto started noticing the slowly approaching danger to their ability to offer affordable units. And in response, they formed the Alliance for Affordable Cooperative Housing, or AACH, to address the issue. Though still largely based in Toronto, the AACH has made contacts in many parts of the country and has been working with local, provincial, and national housing co-op federations to build public awareness and to push politicians to address the risk to co-ops and to low-income people. Altman talks with me about the issue about the actions of the AACH so far, and about what needs to happen, and soon, to save a significant proportion of Canada's social housing stock. I spoke with him by Skype to phone from Toronto. My name is Donald Altman. I'm the treasurer of the Church Isabella Residence Cooperative, which is a housing cooperative in downtown Toronto. And I'm part of a group of people, mostly centered in Toronto, but representing a group across the country, which is called the Alliance for Affordable Co-op Housing. And our goal is to deal with the fact that co-ops of our vintage have an agreement with the federal government to provide rent-cured income support with federal dollars that's tied to having a mortgage. These organizations' mortgages are coming due in the 2014 to 2020 period, in which case the households that currently have rent geared to income support from the federal government, that will end unless something happens in terms of a new agreement or something. And so this group, AACH, has been trying to advocate both within the co-op sector and with nonprofits in general and with the federal government to have some kind of replacement agreement for these households. I started off in the club sector in the late 60s. I've been on the board for a lot of the 34 years that I was in the housing cooperative, and I've been the treasurer for almost all the years that I've been on the board. 
I have a lot of experience in, in the variety of cooperatives. I was a credit union chair for quite a number of years, and I'm also involved in the, the cooperative food system. A nonprofit housing cooperative from the tenant or member's perspective is sort of a blend of renting and owning. So on the renting side, people get accepted as members and they move into the building. And in our case, they put down their first month's rent, their last month's rent, and a maintenance deposit. And if they decide that they're going to leave the co-op, they basically leave the same way they would as a renter. They take nothing with them. So they haven't built up any equity in that sense. But on the ownership side, they are considered to be owner and they have all the rights of ownership. So we have in our particular co-op, and every co-op is a bit different, we have two member meetings a year at a minimum. The members vote on the board of directors. The members vote on the budget and therefore what rent they're going to charge themselves. They vote on all of the rules around the operation of the cooperative. And then obviously, in order to run the cooperative, besides having a board of directors, we have a number of committees that are also 100% populated by tenants. And in our case, we're quite small, so we don't have a full-time staff. We have a part-time staff person and a three-hour-a-month bookkeeper, and most of the stuff is done by volunteers. In fact, the collecting of rents and the processing of rent checks and so on is actually done by a volunteer. In the late 70s, the federal government had a program to promote the development of social housing in the form of nonprofit cooperatives. Panel Merchant Housing gave the organization a mortgage, a first mortgage, and tied to that first mortgage is also a stream of annual payments to be used to support those tenants that can't afford the rent. So this is the agreement that we're talking about coming to an end. So in our case, it started in 1980. It's a 35-year mortgage, and we're currently paying 100% of the mortgage ourselves, of course. The mortgage on the site that comes due first was around $1.2 million. It's 30 units in a low-rise building. We have a three-story walk-up. It was built in 1907 and stacked houses along two sides of the lot. So the built part of our lot looks like a U, and we have a little courtyard in the center. So we have this agreement, and as I said, we get the stream of payments. We have an obligation under our agreement to have at least eight of the 30 households on rent-geared income support. The amount of money we get on an annual basis is tied to interest rates. So in the 80s and the 90s, we got more subsidy money than we have today. We have a national organization called the Cooperative Housing Federation of Canada, and they claim that about 20,500 households are impacted across the country as a consequence of these agreements coming due. But we're focused on cooperative housing, but you need to understand that there were also all sorts of nonprofits built under the same program across the country. So in Ontario, for example, because the province has devolved uh, social housing to municipalities, most of the bigger municipalities in Ontario also are going to be impacted by this because as a service manager, they're providing support to nonprofits under the same program, and the federal government money is also with, being withdrawn from those projects depending on when their mortgages come due as well. So this is not exclusively a housing cooperative problem. It's a social housing problem. So about six or seven years ago, maybe longer now, one of these housing cooperatives 
they were public was something that for someone like me was I thought was self-evident, which is as the interest rates came down, the amount of money we had for geared to income support was going to go down. And they were quite upset about this because it had quite an impact on their housing cooperative. And they called a meeting in Toronto of which a number of people showed up. And that became the beginning of this movement First, to try to stabilize the amount of money we were getting for rent geared to income support. And then, as we got closer to the end of the agreements, it morphed into this problem about dealing with the end of the agreements. We did manage, although I wouldn't say just us, I mean the system, the co-op housing system, as a consequence of these kinds of agitations, did manage to convince the federal government in Canada for mortgage and housing to stabilize the amount of money that they were giving for rent geared to income support. So, in fact, as mortgages have rolled over over the last seven to five years, the amount of money that's been withdrawn is less than would have otherwise have been under the original agreements. So that was sort of a win for the group. And now we're trying to do a bigger win, which is to keep money flowing after these agreements end. And tell me about the process that first gathered people together. In Toronto, we have our own federation. We have enough cooperative projects. And the Federation has a board of directors, and they have meetings. So meetings are called on a regular basis, and there's forums for people to talk about stuff. And this became a topic at the Federation meetings. And as often happens in community groups, the organization can't necessarily cope with all of the issues. So they ask for volunteers who would like to form a committee and take this on. And myself and several other people, we basically took it on, and we've been meeting six or eight times a year over the last while trying to promote these problems. So we've been arranging for resolutions to be presented and passed at our national organization's annual meeting. We have created a website. We have email lists for interested people across the country. We have a tradition now, I guess, for the last four or five years that at the national meetings, we've taken one of the lunch breaks and had a meeting that we controlled and chaired to talk about this where we also passed a piece of paper around asking for other people across the country who are interested in being formed to give us their email addresses. It's been a very grassroots kind of organizing. In Toronto, we've held meetings with MPPs, MPs, and local councillors. Because we have a strong federation in Toronto, we've been working with the staff and the board of the local federation, again, to make this part of the co-op presence during the elections. So we've, when there is an election, we have been meeting with candidates. So, for example, we just had a by-election here, as you probably might be aware, in Toronto Centre Rosedale. And the most consistent folks coming to our meetings these days are in Toronto Centre Rosedale. So it made sense for us to have, a, we had meetings with the candidates and front and centre was this problem. And I'm sure that if and when we have an Ontario election and certainly when we have the federal election, we know that our, our local federation will be holding meetings with candidates and that they have been holding meetings with the local MPPs and MPs. And the national organization has also started to meet with MPs because co-ops and nonprofits are so prevalent across the country now there's hardly an MP that doesn't have at least one of these projects in their writing. So in reading a little bit about this issue online, one of the responses that I think is out there that isn't necessarily very sympathetic to the problem is, 
well, this funding is only necessary when you have a mortgage to pay. And once that that's done, then surely the co-ops can find ways to continue the subsidies within the rent that they're already receiving. Okay, so let me give you two responses to that. So it's interesting you bring that up because when we first started canvassing our members about what we were going to do if there wasn't going to be a program, that was exactly their response too. But when I told them that there's not a single household in our co-op, well, first let me back up. Our mortgage is going to go down $200 a month. And just let me break in here to clarify, when Altman says a decrease of $200, I believe what he means is that with the end of that mortgage, there would be a decrease in expenses of $200 per unit. We don't have a single household in rent geared income support whose subsidy is anywhere near $200. Some of them are in the five, 600 range. So taking $200 off is not actually going to take a single solitary household off of the rent geared to income group. So that's the first response. The second response is, so we have eight households that we currently are supporting on rent geared to income support. So that means there's 22 households that are paying what we call the break-even rent. Because we don't have to make a profit, we don't have to advertise, we just have to collect enough money to cover our costs, which is why I'm calling it the break-even rent. So you have to ask yourself the philosophical issue of why should 22 Canadian households take on the responsibility of all Canadians, all 35 million of them or whatever it is, that are currently supporting these eight households? On the other hand, I have to say that people are very exercised in our co-op, and I think that's true for many of the co-ops, certainly the co-ops that are coming to the AACH meetings. They don't want to economically evict their neighbors. In our case, we have very, very little turnover. As I said, our project is a renovation, so we actually have people who agitated to take over the building when it was rental and buy it from the landlord because they wanted to save their housing, and they're still living there 34 years later. So most of the people who live in our club have been there a long time, and we've formed relationships with our neighbors, and we don't want to see our neighbors tossed out in the street. So we have been talking about, well, what are we going to do if the federal government or the province or the city doesn't come up with anything? And we have been struggling through how we're going to do this. We've taken some actions, and we've sort of made some decisions at this point about what we're going to do. I mean, our primary focus is still on resurrecting some kind of government program for these people, but we also appreciate we're running out of time. I mean, we're now 15 months away from the date in our case. We've had several task forces in our co-op to try to figure out what on earth are we going to do. We've run some surveys. We've had some straw polls to try to figure out where people are prepared to land on this. And if I was a betting person, I would say that if nothing happens by July 2015, members will, in the short run, agree to have some of their rent be directed towards some kind of internal pool for these households that can't pay the break-even rent. Many of the co-ops in Toronto already have pools like that because the money they're already getting from the federal government is inadequate to support their folks. So they've actually made the psychological decision or break earlier. We've been lucky that we haven't had to do that. And that struggle is going on all across the country. And needless to say, there are going to be some projects, like ours, I think, where people say, push comes to shove, okay, I don't think it's right, I don't think we should do this, but I don't want to see these people move out, okay, you know, 50 bucks in my rent can go to some kind of pool or whatever it takes. Others are going to say, too bad, 
you know, they've been telling us all along, you'd know for 35 years that it was going to end, and it's ended, and, you know, if you can't figure out how to live here, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to find some other place. We love this place, and we'll just replace you with other people who can pay the rent. And we will, as a society, lose these social housing units, wherever that decision is made. What would the program look like that you're recommending that the federal government institute as a replacement for this original program that's tied to the mortgages? This is a big problem because I don't know that we really have landed on a single vision as a, as a system of what that program should look like. Part of the problem is that social housing is now administered differently in the different provinces and territories across the country. So, for example, in Ontario, the federal government is still supporting the federal housing cooperatives. All the other nonprofits are being administered by municipalities, so a program for Ontario is going to look different than a program in another province where the province is administering it and they haven't devolved it to municipalities. If I had my brothers, I would say to them, just keep funding it the way you are. It's true it won't fully fund it, but you know, maybe we're prepared to put a little bit in each year to top it up. Now, that would work for us. It wouldn't work for these costs that are already putting money in. So I think we do need a new program. But for us, keeping the same money, probably we would be able to manage. I think right now, any program that at least grandparents these households and gives them the level of support that they currently have would be a win. I mean, it comes down to, again, whether governments are committed to providing support to lower-income Canadians and to what extent they're willing to put funds out and what different styles of housing they're prepared to support to do that. In the conversations that you've been having with politicians and in the conversations that you've been having in the broader community, what are the range of responses that you're getting to the issue and to the advocacy that your group is doing around the issue? Well, I think light bulbs are going on for people who didn't know anything about this. Getting them to recognize and acknowledge that there might be a problem and there's an issue here is important. I would say the little I've seen in writing from our national group who are meeting with MPs is that they're also getting a positive response from all of the MPs that they meet with because for whatever reason, they just really weren't aware of this problem and hadn't really thought through the consequences of the way the system works for these projects. And that's your first step. I mean, the first step is for people to be aware you can't get the bureaucrats or the ministry or the cabinet to do anything until there's a fair amount of support in the caucus for doing something. So that's where we've mostly been focused. Unfortunately, in my view, it's taken too long to get to this point. We should have been where we are now four years ago, and then we probably would have a program by now. What about in terms of the broader public? The context for that question is my sense that most people in Canada, I think, really don't know much about cooperatives, even though there are lots of cooperatives here, whether that's housing or food co-ops or consumer co-ops or other kinds of things. Even though there are lots of them, my sense is that most Canadians don't really know much about them. So what's your sense of how aware people in the broader public are and the challenges of getting the broader public to appreciate the importance of the issue? My first response is that I agree with you. Your sense of the profile of cooperatives across the country 
is very weak, despite the fact that we constantly say there are, you know, a huge proportion of Canadians that belong to co-ops, although I've always felt that probably there's a fair bit of double counting. Like, I get to count four or five times since I deal with the corporate insurance company, and I belong to a food cooperative, and I live in a housing cooperative, and I bank and a credit union. Hopefully, I don't count five times, but I suspect that I do on those counts. Um, we're really torn as a system about how to deal with this question. When you look at responses of the public to this, it's often quite negative. And these days where you get the articles and then you have all of these comments from people, they can be quite negative. So part of the system says we should just focus on the decision makers and not worry about the public because for whatever reason, crops seem to have a bad reputation and we're just going to get all sorts of negativity out of it and it's not going to move us forward and we only have so much energy so we should focus on the politicians. The other group says, well, the politicians aren't going to move unless their constituents see this as an issue. We need to put more energy into making it a higher profile with the public. Obviously, I'm part of that group because I wouldn't be talking to you if I thought that it was a total waste of time and we'd just get negativity back. The irony is that just before he retired, we met with Bob Ray, and he was quite critical of us, the co-ops in general, that we hadn't taken it more to the public and made more of a thing. And he honestly felt that it was a wrong decision to not be focused more on the general public. I have not gotten the sense that despite the fact that we got that advice from somebody who obviously is quite knowledgeable about these things, that the National shares that. It's not that nothing is happening, but I do think that we haven't really landed on the best public relations strategy to get what we need in this particular case. And I think part of it is your original comment a while ago, but while their mortgages are going down, surely they can afford this themselves and just kind of dismissing it without really thinking through the philosophical and political consequences of saying that and the vulnerability of the units to, okay, so you're going to let every project decide for itself whether it wants to continue to support these uh, units and be part of the social housing system. You don't have any control at this point of whether they do or they don't. So you put all this money into building these units, or in our case, renovating these units. It was a government exercise because it was hoped for a social purpose to house these people. You're going to lose all that energy and that effort if you don't do something. So that's really where it stands at this point. And are there groups beyond the co-op housing sector that either already are allies in some sense or that you see as potential allies in pushing for these things? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the nonprofit housing sector is a potential ally. I'm not sure what's happened recently, but a few months ago, there was this big announcement that they were putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into a program to bring this to government attention. And that was consistent with what the Federation of Canadian Municipalities has been doing. I don't know what's happening out where you are, but down here in Toronto, there was a bus shelter poster campaign back in the summer trying to highlight these issues, housing issues. So we do have allies because, as I said, it's not just a co-op housing issue, it's a non-profit housing issue, and co-op is just one form of non-profit housing. So this has big impacts, particularly in Ontario, it has big impacts on municipalities because they're the service manager at the end of the day. They have their own financial issues as this money is being withdrawn. A few years ago, the city of Toronto did a report 
it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars that are being withdrawn out of the Toronto system. And that doesn't include the federal co-ops because the city doesn't manage the federal co-ops. And what do you think are the key approaches that the AACH is going to be using in the next six months or a year to try and push this issue forward? We've been mostly operating through our local federation and the national federation, as I say. So we're gearing up. We've been given permission again to take our traditional lunch hour and have a session devoted to this topic. So we're in the process of determining who's going to Ottawa from our group and coming up with an agenda for the meeting. The folks in Toronto in general, the federation in particular, is gearing up for the provincial election. And we just met a few weeks ago with two of our local councillors from city council. As I said, we were quite active during the federal by-election. So those are the kinds of things I think we continue to do. We continue to try to reach out to cause where we know that their agreements are coming due, but they don't seem to have to, they have a problem. And we've been helping each other try to figure out what to do. So, you know, in my case, we have put a lot of energy into trying to canvas our members to figure out where they are at, what they think about what might be potential things that they'd be willing to do in-house. And I've been sharing my materials with anybody who's been interested in them. And what would you say to folks who are perhaps housing co-op members in other cities that are too far away to become directly involved in the AACH's work, but who see this as an important issue and they want to do something to get some movement from governments on the issue. What would you say to them about how they can get involved and how they can take action? If they're in a larger size community, then they should be linking up with other housing cooperatives and nonprofits that have this problem in their community. They should link into the website. They should get on the mailing list. If they're co-op housing people, they should ensure that they send somebody to the national meetings. And if it's in Ontario, they also should be dealing with the Ontario region as well about, you know, reminding them that they're out there, what their needs are, and pressing that we need a solution. People need to decide for themselves as the public a couple of things. One is, is part of what we see as the support the safety net that we're providing to citizens is part of that housing. And if it is, then what is the style that you think we ought to provide this? It's true that people don't really understand cooperatives all that well across the country, but what I'd like to say to them is I personally believe this is the best way to manage the housing because people take responsibility for the housing on the basis that they're owners. And I would say it's very inexpensive. Our rents are, I don't know, 60 or 70% of the market, probably even less because we're downtown Toronto. Because again, we're just collecting enough rent to pay for the expenses. And in our case, we're doing a ton of it as volunteers. You have been listening to my interview with Donald Altman of the Alliance for Affordable Cooperative Housing. To learn more about their work, go to aach.ca. That's aach.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.